Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Los Alamos and this video worship for Sunday, March 21st, 2021. As Unitarian Universalists, we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of all people and gather together in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Whoever you are, whomever you love, wherever you are at this minute, wherever you are on your life's journey, you are welcome to be a part of this community. I invite those of you who are new to us, who are coming to us for the first time through these video worship services, to take some time to connect with us on Facebook, either on our page or at our virtual fellowship hall group. Take a moment to sign our virtual guest book so we can help you stay in touch with what is going on here at the church. And of course, anytime, email me with any questions you might have about our community and what you've experienced during these services on YouTube. All the links for those are found in the service notes below this video. We are glad you are with us today, even at this distance. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.
Bring who you are as you enter into this time and this place. Bring your best self and your struggling self. Bring your mistakes and your triumphs. Bring your shortcomings and your recommitment to good. Bring yourself here and open your heart to beauty, to truth, to the door that is open to the presence of the holy. Here in this church, we are trying to walk together on the peaceable way, trying to hammer out division and hatred and all that separates one from another. We try, and we will fall short, but held in love, we try again. We come together this morning as a church to bow our heads in prayer, to raise our voices across the distance, to remember our promises and vow to live by them once again. Come, let us worship together. For all our joys, all our sorrows, whether we share them with one another or hold them close to our hearts, let us be together in a moment of silence.
Please join with me now in a spirit of prayer and reflection. Eternal and beloved, gracious source of all life and all love, we are grateful today for this time out of time, which we have set apart so that we might become more fully present to our own selves, to our communities, to that which we call holy. May our joys be celebrated together, our wounds be healed together, our hearts be opened together. Spirit, we arrive in this moment once again broken-hearted. We grieve with our LGBTQ family, feeling the effects this week of a spiritual violence done in the words of religious authorities. You are loved, and you are worthy of the gifts of life because you live. We grieve with the people of Atlanta and with the Asian American community and the Pacific Islander communities across this country who have suffered deadly violence done in the name of so much hatred. We grieve for their families and for their loved ones and for them. Delena, Ashley, Young, Gonzalez, Paul, Andre, Michaels, Xiaojie Tan, Hyunjung Grant, Daoyo Feng, Sun Chung Park, Yong A. Yue, Sun Cha Kim. They were loved, and their lives were worthy of the gifts of life because they lived. In naming their worth and speaking their names, may we find in ourselves the courage and the resolve to speak and to act in the name of unbounded love in the continuing face of hatred and fear. May we be blessed by compassion as we face our grief and our pain this week. May we be blessed with the courage to help us live with the fear of losing and the sorrow of loss. Let us reach out this morning to all those among us who need to feel the warmth of love in their lives. Bless this community and keep us ever mindful of the powerful possibilities of love as we walk through all the seasons of our lives. All this we pray in the names of those known and unknown, present and absent, remembered and forgotten, in the names of all the helpers of humankind. Amen.
This is George Takei on May 16, 2008, as he got married to his longtime partner, Brad Altman. Mr. Takei had been a fierce advocate for gay rights and marriage equality. He and Brad were the first couple to obtain a marriage license in their West Hollywood community after the Supreme Court made marriage equality the law of the land. This is also George Takei in his role as Lieutenant Sulu on Star Trek. George played the character through three seasons on television and six feature films. His character, Sulu, was a physicist and an officer in the fictional Starfleet of the series. In the mid-1960s, when the series debuted, it was a significant first to see a character and an actor who was Japanese-American serving in a position of such high status. And this is also George Takei, around the age of five, in 1942, when he and his family were taken from their home in California and sent all the way to Arkansas to live in what was called an internment camp. In 1941, the United States went to war with Japan. Prejudice against Asian Americans was already high, and bigotry against Japanese Americans got worse as the war began. Fearful Americans convinced themselves that Japanese Americans were part of the enemy. And the president signed a decree that allowed the U.S. military to round them up and force them to live in camps, excluded from the rest of American society. Conditions in the camps were bad. Labor was forced. And it was all considered necessary for the war effort. It is an unhappy piece of our history in this country. Some people today still think it was the right thing to do. That's why listening to the stories told by people who lived through internment, people like George Takei, is so important. This is George Takei, telling the story of his childhood in the Japanese internment camps of World War II. My mission in life, he says, has been to raise awareness of this chapter of American history to my fellow Americans because this is an American story. It happened to the U.S. Constitution, and I'm always taken aback when I say to people something about my childhood imprisonment, and they can't believe that this happened in the United States. Stories like George's are important to hear. It's important to hear the voices of people who have experienced firsthand the results of hatred and racism in our country, because it lets us know that this is not just history, but the real lives of real people. It's important to hear stories like George's because they prove the lie that is contained within people's prejudice.
Our reading this morning comes to us from the Reverend Amy Petrie Shaw, my colleague in Des Moines, Iowa. I have a voice. It is a small voice, perhaps, but it will not be silenced. When you call for black people to be beaten and excluded and even removed, I will say no. When you attempt to silence Latinx voices, I will say no. When you mock the disabled and threaten the oppressed, I will say no. When you shout your plans for exclusion and division and terror over and over again, I will say no and no and no. If you build a wall, I will stand in the way of your builders. If they knock me to the ground, I will lie in their path. If you come for my Muslim siblings, I will force you to take me first, and I will not go quietly. I will say no. If you ask that they register, I will be Muslim or Jewish or black or Baha'i, and I will be at the head of the line over and over with each thing that you do. You will hear my voice ringing in the stillness, saying no.
The mass shootings in Atlanta this past week have left us reeling, have left us crying and hurt, and have left us debating what could have caused all of this, and have led us to engage, and I say this as the collective national us, in the national pastime of finger-pointing of trying to ascertain which one of the myriad ongoing dysfunctions of our society was the cause of this horrible event. And I put the emphasis on the one. Which one of these dysfunctions? Because we, as people, as humans, love the simple answer. Especially the one simple answer that might seem like it is the easiest to quote-unquote solve. Especially the one that doesn't cause us to reflect on our own part in the system of that dysfunction. We want to avoid pointing the mirror back in our own direction because what we see in there might be closer than it appears. Straight white men, especially, will perform Cirque du Soleil-level contortions to avoid any answers that might force us to take a closer look at our own roles or our own responsibilities or even what we gain in ongoing systems of bigotry and oppression in this country. Which is why we watch leaders on a national level and a state and a local level, even the ones we trust desperately avoiding naming race as a factor in this week's killings, desperately wanting to talk about anything but bigotry and hatred against Asian Americans and members of the Pacific Islander community here in this country, despite the fact that we can trace an unbroken line from the Chinese Exclusion Act to the Japanese internment camps to today's racist coronavirus conspiracies. And this is why a white sheriff spokesperson can stand in front of us and blithely write off mass murder committed by another white man as just an individual having a bad day. And we watch all of this. And we roll our eyes and we rage against it all because we know, we know that there isn't just one reason for the events in Atlanta this week. This is not just a gender issue. It is not just a psychosexual issue. It is not just an easy access to guns issue. It is not just a racial issue. 
eight people are dead because all of these reasons and more. I am enraged this week once again at our ongoing national denial of the intersection of oppressions, of the interconnected nature of all of our bigotries. I am enraged that these entwined hatreds still exist. And at the same time, I'm tired of all of my rage. Because what does it get me? Because the reasons and the problems are enormous. And I am still so small. spoken a lot in general the last few weeks as we explore commitment about the feeling of being overwhelmed by the enormity of everything. And I've talked about it a bit in the abstract, but here it is this week, a concrete example of just how we get so overwhelmed when we can see the depth and the breadth of the truth that people will not speak. It is exhausting and it is a roadblock. And how, how are we supposed to fix any of this in our own small selves? And John, you keep exhorting us to live into a commitment to be the hands of love in the face of all this. And I still can't leave my house. Heck, I haven't put on real pants more than five times in the last 12 months. What are we asking here? And I know, I know, I'm right there with you. I know everything is just to everything. And I know I've said time and again, in the face of all that overwhelms, it is hard to know where to start. But then sometimes the answers make themselves obvious. A few nights ago, Jess reminded me of events that took place in one of the local Facebook groups last year, not long after the start of the pandemic. Announcements were going around for another Science on Tap event. It was to be led by a scientist from the laboratory who comes from China. And the first comment in one of the local groups under that Science on Tap announcement said simply, what is Los Alamos bringing coronavirus this way for? Now that's just dumb. Let's be honest. But it's also troubling. And this person was rightly so dragged up and down Facebook back and forth for their blatant bigotry in the moment. And that, that is something we can do. People said no in that moment. Now, I know it's easy to write this off as an isolated incident just a year ago, but it happened here. Someone absorbed the big lie. Someone absorbed and took in the message of the big hate, and they made it manifest in small ways in our community. It happened here. And it still happens here in our community, on our own little mesa tops. The evidence abounds. 
I know if you're like me, you live by a rule that says do not read the comment section, but I also know if you are like me, you break that rule constantly because sometimes it is hard to look away. And if you read the comment sections in the local Facebook groups or any of the other local social media, you will know far too intimately sometimes that the big hates of the world manifest in small ways right here amidst our own neighbors. As a side note, if you don't read the comment section, if you do make it a practice not to do that, if it's something you are doing for your own mental health, and I wish I could stick to it myself, that is an absolutely valid choice. I'm not suggesting you go out and start reading all the Facebook comments. This is just one example of how we can be aware of what is happening at a local level. I'm sure if we could all sit down together, each one of us could tell a story about ways that they have been aware of hatred and how it manifests in our small community. But as much as we can tell the stories and as much as we can see it happening right in front of us, sometimes we just don't want to believe that it can happen here. And that's because one of the ways that we cope with the overwhelming feelings, one of the ways we cope with everything being to everything and not knowing where to start is to trick ourselves into imagining that because the world's problems, because the big hates are so enormous, they are happening out there. They are too big for right here. It's a somewhere else problem. If we stay fixed in that mindset, it is easy to let what happens here under our noses escape our notice. I know that the bumper sticker phrase, think globally, act locally, seems trite, perhaps, in the moment. But it really is what I'm asking us to apply here. Because if we can shift our perspective away from the out-there-ness of the problem, if we can shift our perspective to a point where we can accept that global problems manifest at the atomic community level, all of a sudden, the unmanageable becomes engageable. We cannot single-handedly solve racism, but... I can say no to the bigot at the company barbecue. I cannot single-handedly end gender-based violence in this country, but I can say no to manifestations of toxic masculinity when I see them crop up in a Facebook group. In the face of local manifestations of the big hates, we can shout a simple No, and no, and no. We can hold up the mirror so many people try to avoid and reflect words and actions back upon the perpetrators and overwhelm them with the uncomfortable truth of their own hatred. I know confrontation is hard. I know confrontation is uncomfortable. I live with that own truth in myself on a daily basis. But there does come a point where we have to say, in the instances where we can, no, to speak up. Confrontation is hard, but big hate unconfronted does damage to even the smallest of our communities. 
So confront where you can. Find help doing it where you need. Reach out to your support structures at your work, in your school, in your family, in your church. Reach out to your church friends if you need help and support. Reach out to me. I've got your back. I know. I know everything is too everything. The big hates overwhelm us. But our voices in our local spheres have an outsized power. Bigger than any one of us. When we are in doubt where to begin in the face of it all, begin there. You can use your voice in your own small community. And you can do it in your sweatpants from your couch still. And that hardly seems overwhelming at all. Maybe so. Just one announcement before we end this week's service. A few weeks ago, you saw the video message from our steward this year, Teresa Cull, announcing the opening of this year's annual canvas for our general budget for the next fiscal year. And by now, most of you who have given before should have received your uh, pledge materials in the mail. I want to remind you today that those pledge forms are due back into the church office on March 28th. That is one week from today on Sunday. We need those back as soon as possible so that we can finish finalizing our budget for the 2022 fiscal year before we gather together and approve it at our annual meeting on May 23rd. Now, we've asked you for a considerable stretch this year to help us meet the challenges of the coming year and for the years after that. And we are hoping, hoping that as many of you as possible can help us meet this challenge. If you have already turned in your pledge, thank you so much for your promptness. If you have not yet but are still planning to make a gift at any level at all, even if you cannot make the stretch we are asking, we give our deepest thanks to you for your continued gifts to us. If you have not given to the church before and are considering it, please contact the church office and Susanna No, our administrator, will be happy to get you set up with this year's pledge materials. Once again, those materials are due back into the church office by Sunday, March 28th. If you do this, you will avoid a phone call from one of our board members. Thank you and thank you and thank you for your continued generosity this year. For the month of March, 100% of our weekly offerings will be given to Tierra del Oro, a migrant shelter in Puerto Palomas, Mexico. Tierra del Oro is a small, short-term shelter for asylum seekers. All monies collected this month will be sent to the UU Social Justice Network at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Silver City, New Mexico, who are working to deliver supplies and funds to the shelter each week. 
Please use the Givelify app on your mobile device to make your donation or use the link in the service notes below. Please use the Givelify app on your mobile device to make your donation or use the link in the service notes below. May what you give bring you joy. Friends, may life bless us and keep us. May the light of life shine upon us and out from within us and be gracious to us and bring us peace. For this is the day 
This is the one wild and precious life we have been given, so let us all find a way to rejoice and be glad in it. Go in peace.